Amen. Praise Him. Praise Him. Can we bow in prayer this morning with our hearts just opening up to Him? Allowing those words that we just sang to take root in this moment. I'm so thankful that our our small human attempts to praise him are enough for him to come and join us and just inhabit this place. He is so good. He is so good. Father, thank you for blessing us with a church, with people with gifts to worship you and to lead us. Thank you for blessing us with voices that we can sing out and praise you. Lord, we thank you for the cross. It's an offense to some, but it's the beginning of everything for us. Father, I just... I sense in this moment this morning that you're, you're wanting to say something to us this, this day. That you want to waken us. You want to snap us out of where we are and, and bring us into a place where you're leading. So Lord, we just give you this time right now. Lord, I just ask that you'd speak through me. Holy Spirit, come. Speak through me. I can't do this on my own. I need more of you. Don't let a word I say to be apart from what you have to say. Lord, give us ears to hear. Don't let our minds drift off to different places, to what's next, what's lunch, what's Monday. Lord, let us hear what you have to say through your word, Lord, and don't let it be a transfer of information. Holy Spirit, I just ask you would bring about transformation in this place this morning that you would change our hearts, that you would change our minds, that you would renew us, give us a hunger for more of you. And Lord, send us out from here today with hands and feet that are willing to put into practice what you're transforming us from the inside out to do so that we can reach people with Jesus, that we can be built up, that we can be strengthened, that we can stand and say, yes, in this world we may have trouble, but we've overcome the world through you. And we don't live lives that where we contend for victory. We live lives where you've already been victorious. We love you, Lord. Thank you for loving us first. In Jesus' name, amen. I hope you're as excited as I am for this series. If you're not, you're about to be. Enough, enough. Series through the, through the book of Colossians. If you have a Bible with you, just turn to Colossians chapter 1. We're going to start there. Colossians chapter 1. It's, it's a funny word, this word, enough. Um, sometimes I'm guilty of saying to my kids, uh, don't you have enough of that already? Let me give you an example. Does anybody know what Beanie Boos are? No? There may be like three of you. They're like Beanie Babies, but they're bigger. 
and there are these weird animals. You're gonna, I've already lost you all. <laughs> there are these weird stuffed animals that have really big eyes. And if you've never seen them, you will because they're in the grocery store. They're in Walmart. They're in the weirdest places. They're like, you could go to, you know, like Loray Caverns, and they're selling rocks. And then right next to them, they have Beanie Boos that have nothing to do with Loray Caverns whatsoever, but they have them there. And they have them there to terrorize people like me who have children who believe every time they see them, they have to buy one. Yeah, and, and I know, and I mean, if you've ever worked retail, this is true, that you put them in places where my children are going to see them, so they will terrorize me. So you can sell this little tiny thing for $15 and rip everyone off. Like, and constantly when we see them, I say to the kids, like, don't you think that you already have enough of them, right? Like, they, they're used to hearing no from me, and yet they still want more of them. And it's insane to me. But, you know, as, as I go crazy about it, and it's sometimes they... They annoy me, to be honest. Like I've said before, I don't need to have a counselor. I just share from here every Sunday. Um, they annoy me with it sometimes. I stop and wonder, though, like, is, is the expression that they have when they see in a beanie boo, their hearts that are saying, you know, I need another one of those. Why? I don't know. I just need it. Is that expression something that's actually present in me as well? Because it is, because there's a lot of things in my life that I constantly obsess about, that I want more about. And honestly, sometimes I think that God's saying to me, don't you already have enough? But he, he, uh, he doesn't. I, I actually brought something in this morning. You guys are getting used to me being crazy. But these things that I obsess about actually are kind of like this suitcase. And I was thinking about this um, because... I'm just going to be honest with you. These things for me are basically like I just, you just saw me with a suitcase. I, I just pull them around with me all the time. I carry them with me a lot. And it's worries about whether there's enough. Let me give you an example. There's more. I have stuff in here, right? So, so like, what kind of things do we worry about? Like, is there enough? Well, like, I don't know. Like, am I going to have enough money to have an awesome car? Right? Or am I going to have enough money f- next time the car makes a noise and I have to take it into the shop? Right? Like, am I going to have enough for that? Or, or am I going to have uh, enough time in the week to do everything that God asks me to do? Am I going to have enough time for the kids? Am I going to have enough time to get the work done? Am I going to have enough time to work out? Because, you know, I don't eat well, so I have to work out so that I don't, you know, get bigger because you have to do one or the other, preferably both, but I just work out to eat. So am I going to have enough time to do all of those things? I don't know. Or am, am I going to have enough money, right? Am I going to have enough money to do this? Is, 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 I'm always, you know, I'd like to say that I'm not, but sometimes, let's just be honest, the checkbook looks a little low, and the things that are coming around the corner look a little big, and you worry about that, and you just carry it with you. And then some of you, not me necessarily, but some of you, you worry about sports, and you worry about kids, you're in sports, you worry about, am I good enough to make the team, or am I good enough to start on the team, or am I good enough to get an education from playing this sport? Like, am I going to get good enough to where a school's going to pay me to come to their so I can get a free education. Is, is this, and this is a worry. This is a worry so much so that in our environment of life, let's be honest, there's parents that are putting their kids in at like four, a, four years old to play sports so they can sometime be good enough. And they're missing out on so much of their life because they're in sports all the time because they want them to be good enough so they make it. And then, and, and the kids are, you know, tired of it by the time they're 16. And then, and then you know, some of you, you think about like, am I in good enough health? 
right? It's so good I have kids that can give me all this stuff. Uh, am I in good enough health? Is my health good enough? Am I going to feel well enough tomorrow to be able to go to do the things I want? Because, you know, as even though my brain and my wisdom is growing every year, my body seems to be breaking down every year. And so am I going to be healthy enough? And then we worry about the house, right? And it's like, is the house big enough, right? It doesn't even have a roof, is the house big enough? Is it, is, it, is, it, is it good enough? And is the kitchen good enough? Because, you know, I know that there's a perfectly good floor and countertops, but I have to change them because they might not look nice enough, right? Or this is the things we worry about. Or when I, when I go onto, on, onto my phone, you know, are people, am I going to have enough likes on my latest post? Or am I going to have enough friends? Or when I snap that person, are they going to come back at me? You know, we worry about these things. Is, is my life look good enough to the people that see it? Because you know what? Social media life is real world, isn't it? Yeah. Does it look good enough compared to that person that follows me? Or am I going to have enough, vaca- enough money to go on vacation this year? Are we going to have enough? All of these things, is, we obsess about them. And if we're, not, if we're honest with each other, these things just represent a few things that are just worries. That are things that if we're not careful, we just, we just carry them around with us. We're always worried about the enough. Maybe nobody sees it, but it's dragging us down behind us the whole time. And it's what I've seen through my life, time and time again, especially for believers, we struggle with this question, what is enough? We don't follow Jesus sometimes the way that we're called to, or, or our following of Jesus is sometimes clouded by the, the amazing amount of things, the amazing amount of stress, the amazing amount of items in our bags that weigh us down as we live a life pursuing enough. We're always thinking about it. We're always stressing about it. We're worrying about it. It consumes our time. It consumes our money. It consumes all of it. And you know, what is enough? What is the definition of enough? I came up with a definition this week for what is enough. I just think it's the sufficient amount needed to satisfy the need or requirement. It's the sufficient amount needed to satisfy a need or a requirement. It's enough. But what is enough? We're not the first people to struggle with this. We're not the first people to struggle this with this with our faith either. In the book of Colossians, this book we're about to read is actually a letter, in case you didn't know that, from a man named Paul who was writing to a church that was struggling with the subject of what is enough. They were struggling with the subject of what is enough to follow Jesus and is Jesus enough? That was the main concern that Paul had as he was writing this letter. So let's talk about Colossians for a little bit, or better yet, the, uh, the town of Colossae. We're going to be here in Colossians 1, 13 to 14 today, Looking at 3 to 14, I'm sorry. Let's talk about the town of Colossae. Now, Paul had never been to Colossae. Paul was a missionary all over the Mediterranean rim, you know, wrote more than half of the New Testament. And he wrote letters to churches that he planted, and he had never actually been to Colossae. We know from uh, Acts 19 that he spent two years, however, maybe close to three years in a town called Ephesus, which is nearby to Colossae. If you look at the map here, it kind of, it's blown up, and this is the best map I could find. And Colossae's up there on the right, and, and you can see some of the other towns. There's Uh, Hierapolis, and there's Laodicea, and Ephesus is all the way over on the left, but he was in Ephesus, but this entire region 
in modern-day Turkey, this entire region was a place where Paul spent two years in Ephesus preaching and teaching, training leaders. And we believe that it's probably the people that Paul invested in became missionaries that went to these other towns away from Ephesus after those two years and reached people there for Jesus. Because that's what Jesus' people do. We learn about Jesus, then we take it to the next town. We take it to the next person. And so people did that. And around AD 60, 61, Paul's in prison, and a guy named Epaphras, that's a good name if someone's looking for a name to name their child, Epaphras, a good strong name, a guy named Epaphras goes to Paul in prison, and he gives him an update on Colossae. He lets him know there's some really good things going on in this town. There's really good things going on in the church, but there's also some things that are not good. There's a lot of people getting led astray because they're believing one thing that the people are saying. There's all kinds of things we could talk about, but it all boils down to one thing, one problem, that Christians in Colossae were believing that Jesus wasn't enough, that we had to add things to Jesus, that there had to be things. Paul talks about it. He talks about these philosophies. And scholars argue about what these philosophies are about. It's, for people like me, it's fun to read people come up with these ideas. It's, the Bible doesn't tell us, so we're trying to argue about them. Most, most people believe maybe it was some Jewish laws or holidays because there was some Jews that were converted to Christianity and they were saying, you know what, just following Jesus isn't enough. You've got to do some things that we used to do in Judaism as well. But there could have been some pagan things because this entire region of Colossae and Hierapolis and Laodicea and Ephesus, it was a pagan world. It was a Greek, Greek and Roman gods and they, they worshiped them. And so they, they were converted away from that and some people were still carrying on some of these ideas, these searches for wisdom and these searches for higher learning. And they said, you have to have this stuff and just worshiping Jesus is not enough. Some people were actually pushing, we know from reading the letter, maybe even like the worship of angels as something that was going on. But regardless of what the philosophies were, the philosophies were telling people that Jesus wasn't enough. Does this sound familiar to anybody? I mean, we live in a world today where we're told that following Jesus isn't enough and and that the Bible's outdated. It's this old document. And you know what? Jesus, if if you want to worship Jesus, it's okay. That's good. Whatever's good for you is good for you. Whatever's good for me is good for me. You know, there's many religions, and they all lead to the place, right, same place. Has anybody ever heard this philosophy? Or Jesus is okay. You know, you can worship Jesus. That's great. He was a nice guy. He was a good teacher. But science and psychology and archaeology and history, they've all proven the Bible isn't true. So if you want to read that book of fables, go for it. And if Jesus makes you feel better and helps you get up in the morning, good for you, but not for me, right? This is a philosophy that's present in our culture. We're bombarded with philosophies. We're bombarded with things that say Jesus isn't enough. It's become more and more, I'm not going to get too, you know, explicit about it, but it's become more and more in our culture where actually if you have a life and a morality that's shaped by the teachings of Jesus, you've become someone that at some places is looked upon as judgmental and bigoted and unloving because you follow the teachings of Jesus because obviously his teachings aren't enough. You need to follow another philosophy. You need to follow another thing because after all, love is love and you need to get your, you, you need to stop being judgmental to me and that Jesus guy, he's making you that way. This is where we're at. So when we approach this letter, we need to understand that though this thing happened 
a while ago, almost 2,000 years ago, where this letter was written to this church, you and I are faced with the same difficulties. Same with, with the same things, that all these philosophies, all these messages telling us that Jesus isn't enough. And if, it's not on, if that's not enough, we have these bags that we carry around with us with all these other worries that tell us Jesus isn't enough. And we're trying to live this life. All of us sitting here, we're just trying to follow Jesus. We're just trying to raise families. We're just trying to work. We're just trying to do things, right? This is what our life is like. And I want you to know that a letter like this, God's given us a letter like this to speak into that, to break into that, and to awaken your hearts and your life to who Jesus is. Because Jesus wants, I believe, the Holy Spirit, Jesus wants to bring a renewal, and he wants to bring a revival to this country, and it's not going to happen unless the people of God get a hunger for him like they've never had before. I'm going to say that again just so that you can wake up before you hear it, okay? Jesus wants to bring a renewal to the church. He wants to bring a revival to this land. He wants to change the landscape of this world, and it will not happen until this guy and all of you out there have a hunger for God like you've never had before. And unless you believe that he is enough, and unless we stop believing the lies of culture and stop focusing all of our time and energy on the things that we carry around with us. That's why this is an important letter for us to hear. Colossians teaches us one thing. He is enough. He is sufficient for every need, every requirement. We just sang about it this morning. So let's dig into what Paul says in this letter to these people, what he wants to say to us through the Holy Spirit, starting at verse three. Remember, he's writing to a church. He's writing a letter to a church. It would have been read aloud to a church. He says, we always thank God, the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Paul and his team, Timothy was probably there. Maybe he's even referring to Epaphras who was there visiting him. When we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. He just starts out like Paul does any letter. Most of Paul's letters, it's interesting, he starts out when he's writing to address a problem like most of us do when we address people, like we tell them the good before we whop them, (laughs) you know? But I think he's serious. He's like, listen, we're praying for you. And we're really glad of what we're hearing because you have a love for all the saints that is greater than what most people see. When we we read this, we just pass over these things. But he's not talking about, oh, you have good feelings and you're all gushy-gushy. No, what Paul is saying is what we're hearing from Epaphras is that the culture of your church is so loving and the way that you love one another within your church is so different from the culture outside that it's making a difference in the town that you live. Don't don't lose that. That's what Paul draws out, first of all, because that's what we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be a church that, you know, they will know you are my followers by what? Your love for one another. He says, we found this out. So we already can say, this is who you are. But then he goes on, he says, of this love and this this gospel that you've heard before the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you. So he says, this love that you have, this way that you have to live is because of the gospel that's come to you. As indeed, it's come in the whole world, bearing fruit and increasing 
as it also does among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of truth. Paul's trying to affirm some things. So he affirms their love for one another. And then he affirms that the gospel has taken root in this church. And he says, it is indeed doing in your church what it's doing in the entire world, bearing fruit and increasing. Paul's got limited paper. He's got, he's got plenty of time to write, but he probably has limited paper. He's writing this letter, and he wants to tell them about the power of the gospel. Now, as we begin this series, as we begin this talk about what is enough and how do we live as enough, we have to understand that Paul, in the very beginning, is pointing out how powerful the gospel, the good news of Jesus, what he's done, how he's accomplished it, is worked in that church, and what it can do in the entire world. Let me give you an example, just what he's saying here about how it's bearing fruit, it's increasing, it's moving. Imagine that I said to you, as you moved into a house, and you moved into this house, and you looked at the landscape outside the house, and every one of the flower beds was completely overgrown. Tons of weeds, and every bush is dying, and everything in that entire house is just, you look at it, you're like, the house is okay, but man, the beds are a mess. It's going to take forever to clean them up, right? That would be enough for me not to buy the house personally, but some of you like this stuff, so I would just invite you over to help. But imagine I was to say to you, now all you have to do, all you have to do to clean this up is you just need to plant this seed in one of your beds. And what this seed is going to do is it's going to grow, and it's going to increase, and it's going to make the most beautiful flowers you've ever seen. All of your neighbors from all around, all of your friends when they come visit, they are going to think that this plant is the most incredible thing they've ever seen. And you don't have to do anything to it but water it. You don't have to do anything to it but tend it. And as it grows, and as it grows, it will take over all of the dead. It'll take over all of the weeds, and it will kill it. And in replace, it's going to be this beautiful flower. It's going to be this beautiful plant. And before you know it, it could fill, it could increase the entire flower bed. And beneath the plants, beneath, as you dug, you push them aside, would be the greatest tasting fruit you've ever tasted. I don't have to dig it out. I don't have to work. I don't have, no, all you have to do is water the plant. That's all you have to do. All you have to do is attend to the plant. All you have to do is care for the plant. And it's going to grow. It's going to increase. It's going to bear fruit for you. And you would, if I were to say that to you, you'd say, Dan, you're insane. There's no such thing as that. What Paul wants the church in Colossae to know, what I want you to know is as we're seeking enough, Paul is saying the gospel, when it takes root inside you, is the same thing. It's increasing. It's bearing fruit. As you tend it, you can't stop it. And he says it's doing it in your church And he wants to do it in us. New creation has come. New creation is coming and new creation will come. It's a promise. And he says, you've heard of it. You've seen it. Just as you learn from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. So he sells Epaphras out right away too. Like a good guy. He's like, this is how we found out about you. He's a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and he has made known to us your love in the spirit. And then Paul goes on. And what he's about to do in this next section is he's about to share with them a prayer that, they, that he specifically has been praying for them. And why this is important is because as we deal with this world of philosophies, and we're about to get into like an election season, which makes the philosophies get even worse. Sometimes I just want to turn it off, go into a room and just, you know, pretend it's all over. 
but the philosophies as they come to us and as we drag around these bags and as we have these worries and as we always are thinking about, is there enough, is there enough? Paul wants us to see that as a church is worried about, is Jesus enough? There is a prayer that he is praying that is gonna transcend all of that and is gonna grow their hearts and their lives to follow Jesus and come to seek him as enough. This prayer is so important and I'm hoping as we look at it today, you will be encouraged to pray this prayer this entire series because this prayer is powerful. This prayer gives us a prayer of a person who found out about a church he never saw before, a person who wrote half of the New Testament or more, a person who loves the church. This is a prayer that he's praying from prison because it's all he can do is write letters and pray, and yet he believes it's powerful enough to convince people to, that, and, and, and the Holy Spirit to move on people's hearts to understand how much Jesus is enough. He says, and so from the day we heard about you, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. He's praying for them to have enough. He's praying that you would be filled. You know what it means to be filled? Filled. Not There's no space. He's praying that they would be filled completely. And now pay attention to how much this filling is because Paul starts to use these words, filled with knowledge of God's will, filled with all spiritual wisdom, filled with all understanding. Anybody in the need for that? All wisdom, all knowledge. And this isn't talking about book smarts, okay? It's not like, oh, I'm going to be filled with all knowledge. Now I'm going to be able to ace the SATs and I'm going to be the smartest man alive. No, that's not what it is at all. The wisdom and the knowledge he's talking about is not book knowledge. It's not book smarts. It's not human tradition. That's not what he's talking about either. He's talking about you be filled with all knowledge, all of his will, all spiritual wisdom and understanding, which means that you would be able to see yourself as part of that new creation. You would be able to fully see yourself as a new person in Jesus Christ and that his mind, you have the mind of Christ now in you and that you have the ability to live and to see the world the way God does. And you don't need to search other places, other philosophies for what is enough because he's already given you enough. This is what we do all the time as we start to think and we start to make it work and we seek after it. And what Paul is saying is you can pray to God to be filled with enough because that is already true of you. And it's not about you moving to it. It's about you surrendering to it, moving to you. He wants to fill you with all spiritual wisdom, all knowledge, all understanding. You think this is really bombastic. You're thinking, well, pastor, you're overselling this. No, I'm not. Jesus is enough. He's enough. And he says, not only that, but we pray that you'll be filled so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. You don't have to stop worrying about, is my life holy enough? Is my lack of sin enough? Am I good enough to make it to heaven? Are my thoughts good enough? He says, if you seek him, if you put your mind on him, if you surrender to him, if you pray to him and ask him to fill you, then you will walk out a life that is worthy because you will be walking by the spirit, not by Dan. Put your name in there. It's enough that you'll be able to walk in him. You'll be able to, and note the language of fullness in this. 
Walk in a manner worthy to him, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Do you see the language that Paul's using here? He's saying if you would pray for this, if you would pray for him to fill you, if you would only understand that he is the source of enough, as you walk in a life, you walk in your life, as you live your life, you'll be fully pleasing. You'll be bearing fruit, not only in a couple things, in every good work. And you'll be increasing day by day in the knowledge of God. We just read over these things. I, I'm guilty of it too. As we, as we read the Bible, we just read over these verses and we don't understand. Folks, this is, this is mind-blowing that you can pray to God for this. And in the meantime, let's be honest. I, I'll just say me because it's probably just my problem. In the meantime, we're searching for enough in all of these other places. We're allowing all of these other philosophies affect us. We're allowing ourselves to feel weighed down by this day after day. Some of you haven't slept at least one night in the past week because of something in here. Maybe the whole week because of something in here. Some of you have lost jobs because of something in here. Some of you have broken relationships because of something in here. And Paul is saying to the, book, to the church in Colossae and to you, do you realize that if you would seek him and ask him to fill you that you would have the ability to walk in your life in a manner worthy of the Lord do we even understand what that means that you'll be able to fully please him that you'll bear fruit in every good work increasing in the knowledge of God folks why are we looking anywhere else why are we seeking anything else but that's not all that's not all he goes on He says, you'll be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. When's the last time you felt like you were strengthened with all power? That you were able to face everything with all power without seeking, without wondering, am I going to be enough? Do I have enough to face this? Do I have enough to face her? Can I deal with this now? Because I feel overwhelmed. In the meantime, Paul says, no, that I'm going to pray because I think it's possible for you to be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. And oh my goodness, for all endurance and patience. Can I get an amen? amen? All endurance and patience with joy. Man, I get the endurance part. And I sometimes can fake the impatience part. But to say, boy, am I joyous about it? Are you kidding me? It's obvious Paul wasn't a parent. (laughs) Though if you read his letters, he has a lot of people he's parenting. I think we lose sight of what Paul's saying here. This is the prayer that he's praying, a prayer that we can pray for ourselves. All power, all endurance, and patience. Is it not clear to you that Paul thinks that Jesus is enough? Is it not clear to you that Paul doesn't worry about what he's lacking? No, he's praying for him who he's seeking to fill him. And then you give thanks to the Father who has what? Who's qualified you to share in the inheritance with his saints in the light. He's qualified you. Basically, he's saying God's the only source of enough and he's qualified you to have enough. Not something you did, but what he's done has qualified you. I love the words of the uh, St. John Chrysostom. It was known as Golden Tongue. We're going back into one of the church fathers here, okay? 
He was called Golden Tongue because he was such a great preacher. That was the name that they gave him. I don't know if that was cool back then, but it sounds cool to me, right? But this is what he says. I read this this week, and I thought this was so good. He says, now, if a person of low rank becomes king, he would have the power to make any person he wishes governor. He'd be able, so if you're someone who's a low rank raised up, they'd be able to make whoever they want into officials wherever they want. And he goes on and he says, and this, and it would be an extent of his power, and it would give dignity to that person, but he can never make that person fit for the office he gave him. So, you know, if you be, become king as a low man, and you can bring all your people around you, and they can all be put into positions of power with you, but that doesn't mean that they're fit to be there. It just means that you have the power to place them there, is what he's saying, okay? But here's the thing. However, if a king is the king of kings and has the power to confer to make the person into a position of power, but also has the ability to make them capable of exercising it. That would be, indeed, the greatest thing conferred on a man. What he's saying, what Paul's saying through this verse is that God, through Jesus Christ, the King and King and Lord of Lords, has raised you and me up if we put our faith in him, taking us from a place where we're separated, taking us from a place where we're sinners, taking us from a place where we have nothing. And he has raised us up to share in the inheritance with the saints in the light, sharing the inheritance with Christ himself. And he just didn't bring us up and say, hey, this is a positional place where you're at. No, he has the power to truly make you fit the position he's given you. That should explode your brain. And yet we're seeking enough from this. I, I am too. Paul says he's, he's qualified you already. He's enough. He's the only source. And he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and he's transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. Folks, he hasn't just rescued us from sin. He hasn't just rescued us from darkness. He hasn't just rescued us from brokenness. He's transferred us into something brand new. And that isn't someday when we die, it's right now. And in that kingdom that will never have an end, you have enough, enough. You with me? That's what he's done. In whom? In him, his son. We have the redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He's delivered us, he's transferred us, and he's paid the price for us. It's all been done. Every single debt been paid. You've been transferred, you've been delivered, you've been, you've been given. He's enabled it all. And yet, <clears throat> Tuesday this next week, if I can be prophetic, at some point I'm gonna hear something or I'm gonna think something that's gonna make me feel like I'm not enough. At some point my heart's gonna want to buy something that'll make me feel more like enough. At some point during this week, something in here is gonna make me worry that I'm not enough. And what Paul's saying is, listen, as you're worried about this, as people, as philosophies, as, as, as things you carry around with you are breaking into this mindset that you're not enough, it's just this simple. Jesus is enough. And he's done it all for you. 
And here's a prayer for you to pray so that you will become enlightened in your mind to the truth that's already been done. Does this make sense to you? He's, He's rescued, he's purchased us, he's delivered us. In verse 11, it says, if we can get to this place in, this, in a heart and mind, we'll have joy, we'll have peace, we'll give thanks, we'll have patience, power, and endurance, we'll have everything. Maybe you're saying, well, this is a great sermon, Dan, but you know what, I gotta tell you, I just don't feel this way. I understand that. I think God knew that. That's why he gave us this, this letter. That's why it's here before us. You feel like there's not enough room. You're so full. Your schedule's so full. Your mind's so full. Your emotions are just exhausted. How could I possibly pray one more thing? How could I possibly ever feel like there's enough? Well, I think it's simple and it's also extremely hard, but I believe to receive God's enough, you have to make room. You have to start saying no to these other things. You have to start saying I am not allowing this to define my life, my thought life, my worries. I'm not going to allow the philosophies to shape who I am and how I see God. I'm going to make room for him. And I think you can start by praying this prayer. I think you could. And I think as you do, it will prepare your heart for what God wants to say to you through the rest of the letter to the church in Colossae. So what's filling your bag today? What is it? Where do you need to make room? Do you know? Do you know what's, what lie you're believing? Instead of believing that Jesus is enough? Over the next few weeks, we're going to talk about Christ is enough. Next week, we're going to talk about why he's enough. What, what Paul says, it's the most beautiful section of scripture about who Jesus is that we have in the entire Bible. Then we're going to talk about why faith equals relationship over rules and why that's enough. The next week we're going to talk about why our identity is enough in Christ. And why once we understand that identity piece, we'll always understand what enough is. And finally we'll talk about how embracing Jesus is enough not only transforms us, but it transforms our relationships. I believe that this series could be a series that breaks whatever it is that you've been carrying in this bag. And I believe that if you are chasing after things, believing that they're going to bring enough to you, or you're believing lies that you'll never be enough, that the Holy Spirit is going to work through his word so that you will come to see Jesus as enough because he's more than enough. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just pray this morning as we as we leave to go out into the week, Lord, that as Paul wrote to this church, I just pray that we would understand God's will. That you would give us the ability to understand your will this week. That we would gain wisdom and spiritual understanding that you would give that to each and every one of us here, that we would be able to walk a life that is worthy and that would honor you, Lord. I pray that we would bear fruit in every good work this week, 
I would pray that we would come to know you better and better as we seek you. You promise as we seek you, we will find you when we seek you with all of our hearts, Lord. And I pray that we would know you better and better. Lord, I would pray that you would fill us with your strength and your power, that you would give us patience, that you would give us endurance. Lord, I would pray that as we would come into understanding that you are the source, you are all, you are enough, that we would be filled with joy and that we would be thankful for our inheritance that we have as sons and daughters, as co-heirs with Christ. And that, Lord, the transformation that would come upon us as we would live into this truth and as we would seek you only, as you are the source of enough and as in Jesus we have found enough, Lord, that it would so transform us and our lives and the way that our homes were, the way that our work was, the way that we went about our lives this week, that people would ask us, what is different about you when we would be able to share with them the truth about Jesus and why he is more than enough. We love you, Lord. We ask all of this in his holy name. Amen.